So good morning again. I feel like we have to begin a preaching with good morning. Um, it is my honor and my privilege today to bring the word of God to you. And my prayer is that as Don prayed earlier, that it will land on good soil and that the word of God will, that we won't just be hearers of the word, but that we will be doers of the word and that he will bring transformation to our hearts this morning. So last week, Ruben opened up a series called Stop Going to Church. It's kind of a provocative title, and that is the intention. We want it to be catchy. We want it to be something that stays in your mind. Um, and he explained last week that nowhere in the Bible are we called to go to church. Rather, we are called to be the church. See, if you were to ask some of your non-Christian friends, what is the church? I imagine that their answers would have something to do with the building that we are in, or an institution of organized religion across history, or the hierarchical structure of religious or spiritual leadership. And maybe you're in here and you yourself have, have referred or defined the church in one of these ways. And based on these definitions and understandings of the church, if you were to ask those same non-Christian friends, well, what are your thoughts on church? If you were to, to boldly open the door to ask somebody truthfully, honestly, what is your opinion of the church? More often than not, especially in Europe and in the West in general, people will describe the church as a catalyst of religious wars, an institution that is responsible for the mass suffering that resulted from things like the Crusades and the Inquisitions, some people will blatantly tell you, I will never step foot in a church because it is judgmental, it's patronizing, it's manipulative, it's hypocritical, and quite frankly, the world would be better off without it. Have you heard any of these things before? And this is the sad reputation of the church. And if this is the church, then I, I also want nothing to do with it. Get me out of here. But thankfully, the word of God tells us a better story and tells us that that is not the church. So what is the church? I'm going to give us a quick recap. Last week, Reuben taught us that in the original Greek, ecclesia, it means the called out ones. So the root meaning of church is focused on people, the called out ones. In Romans 16:5, Paul says, greet the church that is in their house. He's not referring to the house. He's referring to the body of believers that is gathered there. So the church is the body of Christ of which he is the head. We read in Ephesians, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now you may have heard us talk about the body of Christ in two ways. Number one, the, the global, the universal church. And secondly, the local church. So the universal, the worldwide church, means that the, the, the church that gathers all believers all over the world, all who confess that Jesus is Lord. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
And so the church with a capital C is made up of all those who believe and have been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. That means that in this moment, in this moment, you and I, if you call yourself a Christ follower, we are together. We are part of one body. We are united with believers all the way from Australia to South Africa to Colombia. That means that, that today we are one body, one living organism with those being persecuted in the Middle East and those experiencing the grace of God in every nation under heaven. And it's an amazing and an exciting thing. And then on a smaller scale, the local church is described in Galatians 1, for example. Paul is writing to the churches and he says, Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. We see here that in the province of Galatia, there were many churches, what we call the local church. Riverside Lisbon is a local church, a local body of believers. All those who belong to Christ and have trusted him for salvation should seek fellowship and edification in a local church. That's why so many of you, when you move to Portugal, that's the first thing you're looking for is a local church where I can be edified and where I can really live out the gifts that God wants to anoint me with. It's always concerning to me when I speak to someone and I hear them say, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but I'm just, I'm not part of a local church. You cannot be part of the body and at the same time want nothing to do with it. It's self-destructive. So the local church is where Christians can fully apply the body principles described in 1 Corinthians 12, encouraging and teaching and building one another up in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that Reuben preached last week, that we should be planted in the house of God so that we may bear fruit and our roots may grow deep and intertwine with one another, that we don't live this Christian life alone and isolated, but that together we may come together as the body of Christ and be a blessing to one another and a blessing in the city around us. You see, the church was never meant to be about buildings or denominations or powerful hierarchies. The ecclesia is meant to be a body of believers that are called out to step into the kingdom of God. And this is where I think things can go wrong and have gone terribly wrong. When the church of God preaches Jesus but omits his message, we end up confirming the reputation that I described earlier. What is the message of Jesus? In Mark 1:14, we read, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. In Luke 4, 43, says, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose, I have been sent. Here's what happens if we only preach the cross and silence the message of Jesus. We start believing in a story that is all about me. If, if I believe in the cross, then I will be saved. And then I just kind of have to live a life where I do my best to be a good person according to my own understanding of what it is to be good and just kind of wait around till I die and then I go to heaven. And the church just is reduced to a social club of people who believe in Jesus, have been saved and just wait around till they die and they have a premium car to get into heaven. And there are so many problems with this story. The main one being that the story of the gospel 
is not about me going somewhere. It is about God coming here. The gospel is not focused on me and my behavior and whether or not I have the right information about Jesus so that when I die, God can assign me to heaven or hell. The gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God is about God and his kingdom and his purposes and what he is doing in my life and in your life. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And secondly, the kingdom of God, his rule and reign is not something that we merely wait for. It is something that is here as people choose to submit to him and are restored back to him. And so the life we live as believers and as a church, it's no longer dictated by us, but rather we become subjects of a king. That's the whole point of a kingdom, is that you have a king who has all authority, and we become subjects of a king who reigns over a kingdom that is completely different. It has a completely different culture. And the ecclesia is those that are called out, who are in the world, but do not belong to the world. And it's a beautiful message. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, it says in Romans 1. It's beautiful because all who are thirsty, all who are tired, all who are tainted by sin can be made new and healed, and brought home to the Father who loves us. It's a beautiful message because the cross doesn't say you need, to, you need to be a certain way, or you need to fix a few things in your life. No, the cross says just, just come, just come. I was reading this week the story of Paul in the book of Acts, and if you haven't read the, the story of how Paul became Paul from first being Saul. It is one of the most beautiful conversions. How a man that was so filthy with sin, he was so poisoned by the power of sin, wherever Saul went, he would bring death. He would issue death. He, he intentionally sought believers to kill them, to persecute them. And then the Bible says that one day he encounters Jesus. And he is given an opportunity to be forgiven of his sins, and he is restored. And it's beautiful how one man can go from just wanting death and, and, and something that he could have carried on. He could have lived his life with shame. He could have absolutely lived his life, just keep reminiscing on all the things that he did wrong and all the faces that he hurt and all the lives that he destroyed. And yet the power of God and the good news of the gospel is that you can leave that behind. You are no longer the old, but God has come to make you a new creation and he can restore you into something new. And it doesn't matter what you've done because Christ has been victorious and he's given you a new page and his mercy is new every day. It's a beautiful beautiful message, but it is also a radical one. And we cannot, we cannot dwell only on the grace of salvation at the cross. We have to preach and live the message of Jesus if we want to just stop going to church, and rather we want to be the church. The message of Jesus requires radical surrender, that you no longer live for yourself this isn't a waiting game where you just kind of try to live an ordinary life, doing your best to fit in. 
until you die and then you go to heaven in the end. No, Paul himself said, he says, now, right now, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. This life isn't about me just kind of trying to be a good person. No, he says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We read in Proverbs 23, 26, my son, give me your heart. And let your eyes observe my ways. The church of God is made up of believers who are called to give God their hearts and observe his ways. Not our ways, not the ways of the world around us, but his ways. We're called to step into a kingdom that is completely different from anything you and I have ever learned or experienced before. You see, the reason that I think the church has such a bad reputation is because the world is desperate for something different. The world is desperate to see something new in us, but all too often they are faced with Christians and so-called churches that claim to embrace a king that they are not fully submitted to. And what the world ends up seeing are Christians that are no different from them. They look at the church and they see lives that still abide by the same rules of power and ambition and lack of humility and greed. And you don't have to go far in history to see this. The recent COVID pandemic and political environment in the past two to three years, in my opinion, has revealed in the church an extreme lack of submission to our king and his countercultural commands. We are called to be different marked by servant leadership, compassion, empathy, forgiveness, kindness, to love as Christ has, loves, uh, has loved us. That means sacrificing ourselves, laying down our lives for others, even those that reject us, even those that hold completely different views from us and values from us, even views that are offensive from, uh, to us. And yet all over the world, we've seen division and conflict and hatred, and disrespect, and Christians unlovingly criticizing each other, and unbelievers in a manner that is completely unbefitting of a Christ follower, and contradictory to the kingdom culture that Jesus preached. And I'm not just talking about others, and how Christians have failed so badly. I'm talking about myself, how I have fallen into this so easily, just brought into the culture of the world, how over the past two years, especially people's views and, and the way that they criticize me makes everything in me want to criticize them back. And how people stand and the things that they say, they're offensive to me. And everything in me just wants to pull out a Bible verse that fits my offense back to them. And it's so easy and we're so quickly pulled into living and acting just like the rest of the world. Recently, I came across a book called Not In It to Win It. And if you're American in this place today, then I would like you to write down this, the name of this book. It is more specific to the American um, environment, but it, after seeing a little bit of it, I've ordered it. It's arriving on Tuesday, so I'm looking forward to, to reading it. But I think it's applicable to pretty much everyone. Um, and he talks about the recent times that we've been living of COVID and the many political tensions, specifically in the US around race and gender and different ideologies, much like the social and political climates that we've experienced somewhat here in Europe as well. 
But we can agree that we are living in times of uncertainty. Like wars break, break out out of nowhere, pandemics break out out of nowhere. We're living in a time of uncertainty where what used to be pretty straightforward and logical and everybody agreed on now is questioned and everything is relative and, and, and your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and it, it is a time of uncertainty. And this is what the author says, he goes, uncertainty does not alter our value system, uncertainty exposes it. He argues that our actions don't tell the full story. You may have heard, well, actions speak louder than words. But actually, he says, our reactions tell the full story. How we react to things exposes the values that we hold. And what has happened recently in this climate of uncertainty is that so many Christians have been exposed. And so many churches have been exposed. Underneath their supposedly biblical speech, they've revealed to the world that really they are no different. Something the world has always suspected anyway. People outside the church have always suspected that we are just like people outside the church. That the same thing driving them the same thing driving ideologies all over the world across history is what drives the local church. What they've suspected all along and what many Christians unfortunately have confirmed through their reactions is that what we value most is winning. And apparently many Christians and Christian leaders fear the same thing that every other ideological movement fears, that is losing. Losing influence, losing our voice, losing our rights, losing our freedoms. But we are not here to win anything. Can I repeat that? We are not here to win anything. We're not here to win culture wars. We're not here to win reason. We're not here to win votes, much less. So many Christians have taken a position of some kind and completely alienated completely distance themselves from anyone who disagrees with them, from anyone who has a different view from them, criticizing and offending them, which is crazy. It's crazy because if you're over here with your view and your opinion and you think those people are so lost and those people are so, so distant from God, well, they become your mission field, right? They become the people that you should be seeking to save. They become the people that you should be all the more loving, all the more forgiving, all the more empathetic, all the more saying, I want to know who you are and why you are the way you are, just so that perhaps, perhaps I can show you Jesus. Perhaps together we can come to truth. All the more we should be laying down our lives for them, exemplifying the love and the life of Jesus. In Philippians 2.14, Paul is writing to the church, and he writes this utopic, idealistic, very naive verse. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. <laughs> like Paul, he must not know the world that we're living in today. I mean, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Like that is the most utopic thing. I mean, how can we not demand our way? Why would we not demand our way? And the assumption in this verse is that there was something to grumble and argue about even back then. 
And in verse 15, he goes, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and a crooked generation. I'm always hearing, oh my gosh, the world is just getting worse and worse. And in many ways it is getting worse and worse. And I hear this generation is so lost and this generation, in other words, people saying this generation is so crooked and it's so warped. And here's the, here's the good news. Paul says, if you are so concerned about a generation that is crooked and is warped, then you have the potential to do something about it, but it's not going to be by grumbling and arguing. Or people are just going to think, Everybody else is just going to think you're like everybody else. Paul says in the next verse, if you get this right, no grumbling and no arguing, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. If the church would just stop grumbling and arguing, the contrast of who we are, the contrast of how we live life, the contrast of our reflection of Jesus' life would be so different, would be so apparent to people, would be so apparent to the world outside of these walls that we would shine like stars. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he said, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying, be different, act different, react different. He doesn't say, shine your light so people will hear all of your biblical opinions and everything you have to say. He doesn't say, shine your light so that, so that the world will hear your shouting of your convictions. He says, shine your light so that they may see your good deeds. The way you speak, the way you serve, the way you forgive, the way you react to criticism, the way you react to people that are completely different from you. They may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying don't have an opinion. I'm not saying don't have a conviction, don't have a, a, a biblical interpretation. I'm not saying don't engage in conversations or don't engage in politics. By all means, do. What I am saying is that the way in which you relate to people is so crucial. The way in which you engage is so key. Andy Stanley, the author of the book, he writes that our posture, our tone, and our approach is prescribed by Jesus. So if, if you're in here and, and, and you don't call yourself a Christian, then you, don't, you can just criticize and offend, like, go ahead, go for it. But if you are in here and you call yourself a Christian, then the way that you live, the way that you act, what following Jesus sounds like and, and acts like and, and looks like, it's prescribed. It's laid down in the Bible. You don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. It's written on the label how we are meant to live our lives as Christ followers. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Now, this is a bizarre church. Like, it is insanely diverse. If, if you think that you struggle with people who are different from you in this church or the churches that you have been before, then imagine the early church. Like, you, we don't really understand. Paul is planting churches where Jews and Gentiles, masters and slaves, men and women are called to unity 
through Jesus Christ. Like people who have come from completely different backgrounds, people who have different experiences that, by the way, their experiences have shaped what they believe, have shaped what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And now Paul is saying, I know you are so different and I know that you eat meat and you don't eat meat and that you think that guy is is horrible because he used to be this and used to be that. And I know men and women like... You have your own problems, but I'm calling you to unity. No grumbling, no arguing, that they may see your good deeds, that you may shine like stars. He was planting churches, and his goal was to make a difference in a crooked and a warped generation marked by violence and sexual promiscuity and all kinds of evil. And how did he... How did he plan to make a difference? This is super naive. I mean, Paul is so lame. His strategy of how he was going to make a difference is just, you won't believe it. He goes in 1 Corinthians, he says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Paul says he will make himself a slave. Like back then, this was, he knew what slavery looked like. He, he literally, he could see slaves all around him. He knew what freedom was like and, and he could see what slavery looked like. And he says, I will make myself a slave to win as many as possible. So there is a win. Actually, for Christians, there is a win. It's not a win for reputation. It's not a win for reason. It's not a win for acceptance. It's not a win of popularity. It's a win of hearts for Jesus. And his strategy is so lame. He's going to submit and serve serve people in order to influence them. He's going to serve and he's going to submit to people in order that he may influence them and gain them for Christ. Then he goes in 1 Corinthians 9.22, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I have become all things to all people. What he's saying is that he has learned to build relationships with all kinds of people. Even those that he has nothing in common with. Their culture is completely different. Their skin color is completely different. Their view of God, their political stand, their convictions, their lifestyle, their values, completely different. He says, I have learned to to build relationships with them. And you go, why, Paul? I mean, it's so much easier just to kind of stick with the people that think like you and act like you and and believe the same things like you. Why in the world would you hang out with and and go through such an effort to be with people whose lifestyle is, is so different from yours? He says that by all possible means, all possible means that they might not even understand me at the end of the day and they might criticize me and they might be offensive to me and it might not feel that good, but by all possible means that I might save some. I hear so many times people going, and I say this, how can anyone think like that? I mean, different, different ideologies and different lifestyles and different ways of thinking, even ways of thinking about the Bible, and I go, how in the world Can they think like that? And in my view, it's so clear. One plus one is two. How can they say it's three? But you know what 
the solution is to that question, well, get near them. Don't distance yourself from them, alienating them and just saying you're wrong and, and, and you're lost. No, get close to them. Not that they are going to influence your views. Don't go, be, don't, don't be insecure. Get close to them and say, I want to know why you believe what you believe. Get close to them and, and, and build a genuine relationship. Build a genuine friendship. Well, how did, how did you grow up? Tell me about how you grew up. Tell me about the places you've been. Maybe you'll trust me enough. Tell me about the things that have hurt you. Tell me about the scars that you have in your heart. Get close to people that you may shine bright, that you may truly love, that you may exemplify the life and the love of Jesus. Friends, this is what the church is called to be. What Jesus ushered into the world is so new, is so different, that it doesn't fit in any box that the world can make for it. Paul doesn't set out to win anything because Christ has already won, and he just wants to tell people about it. People around you, they need Jesus. They need to see something different in you. They need to see the church shining bright, not because we're loud, not because our branding is awesome, not because we present our arguments so well. They need to see Jesus in the church by the way that we love one another and bear with one another. See, when other people differ from you in opinion or in convictions, don't see that as a threat. It's not a threat. It's an opportunity for our light to shine brighter in the way that we still love them, in the way that we still respect them, regardless of their views. And in, when Christians differ from you, it's not a threat. The more a Christian differs from you, the more it's an opportunity for the world to look at that difference and go, wow, but you guys can still worship the same God. Wow, and you guys still want to live life with one another, and there is still unity. Unity is still possible. You don't have to go that way, and I go this way. You can still have love. It's an opportunity to shine brighter. I want the church to be a place where love abides. And maybe some of you, especially if you're new in church, and I want to call the worship team to come up, especially if you're new in church, you might be thinking, this church is all about grace and love, and they don't care about truth. No, we, we care about truth. And we have doctrine, and I personally have strong views of, of biblical interpretation and what is correct and truthful biblical interpretation and what is right according to the eyes of Jesus and what is not right in the eyes of Jesus. But if I want to make a difference in the world, then the posture and the tone and the approach and the way that I preach this truth, it matters. It matters. You cannot alienate and mistreat and criticize the people that you claim to want to save for Jesus. The people that you think are lost, well, all the more you need to show them who Jesus is. The approach, the tone, the posture, it matters. And we see it in Jesus. We see it in all the conversations that Jesus had. We see it in the encounters that Jesus had. 
We are called to show the same mercy that we are shown by God. I don't know about you, but I am terribly messy. And I make the same mistakes over and over. JD's at an age where, where she does things first and then she says sorry. Like, sorry is just a, a quick fix. And I keep telling her, just, just don't do it in the beginning. Like, the sorry doesn't... But that's what we do with God all the time. We mess up and, and we do things and then we come to God and we say, sorry, and God's just such a good father and he's so merciful. And, and the things that I used to think and the views that I used to hold and I, I, I thought this is the truth. Well, actually, five years later now, my views have evolved and I've learned and I've matured and God has grace and God is patient with me. How much more should we be merciful to others and patient with others? Listen, I know, I know you have a, lo a lot of room to grow. I know I have a lot of room to grow. Let's pursue Jesus together. Let Jesus do the sanctification. Let the Holy Spirit do the conviction. We are called to love one another and as iron sharpens iron, so one brother sharpens another. I want to invite you to stand. I want to stop going to church. I want to be a church that people feel welcome. That people don't have to have it all together before they walk in the room. I want to be a church that preaches truth with boldness. But I want to be a church that exemplifies the love of Jesus, that is merciful and it's patient. And as we worship now, not only do I want to preach, I mean, not only do I want to pray for us as a, as a church, that we may be this light in this city of Lisbon I was reading in Acts and it says that as the apostles went into this one city it, it, they were they were praying for people and the people were coming to Jesus and then it says in this one vo verse and, and there was joy in the city I want us to be a church that brings joy to this city as we make a difference wherever we go but I also want you to to reflect on your posture and your tone and your approach. Reflect on the way that you have been writing on social media. Reflect on the way that you have related to other people that think differently from you. Reflect on the way you've been acting and have you been an example of the life and the love of Jesus to other people. And personally, I I want to come before Jesus in all humility and ask for forgiveness for the times that, that I've lived just like the rest of the world. Wanting so badly to win reason. Wanting so badly for the other person to just go, okay, fine, you're right. That, that in the name of reason, everything else, just at any expense, doesn't matter if the person's hurt, they just need to know I'm right. I want to ask for forgiveness. God, I don't, I don't want to live that way. 
I don't want to abide by the same rules of the world of power and ambition and, and insecurity and pride. No, I want to step into the kingdom of God that has a completely different culture. And I want to be subject to a king. Jesus, I want to live the way that you have called me to live, even if it means losing my reason, even if it means that I misunderstood, even if it means that they will never know or they will never say that I'm right. Jesus, I, I want to lose my life for you that I may win it. God, by all possible means, that I may save some. That exactly those people that think so differently from me, that hold such different convictions that quite frankly are confusing to me, God, that I may be a blessing in their life. That one day they may come to know you. Merciful King. That they may understand the power of the cross that they won't see the church as a place that is judgmental and manipulative and hypocritical, but that they may see the church as a body of believers that are imperfect but serve a perfect God. Jesus, will you work in our hearts this morning? Show us the times and the conversations and the social media threads that we have not glorified your name and we ask for forgiveness do something new in us today work in our hearts Lord we worship you because you are a good father and it is in your presence that you make all things new let's worship